0: Welcome to Brainwaves, a podcast about big ideas produced at the University of Colorado Boulder. I'm Paul Bake. If you like what you hear on our podcast or you have a topic you think we should explore, email us at brainwaves at colorado.edu. As we approach the 50th anniversary of the breakup of the Beatles, this episode is all about music. We'll hear from a music professor who puts the breakup into perspective, and we talk with a Gen Z music critic with his own take on Beatlemania and how technology has opened doors for new artists today. On January 30th, 1969, the Beatles and keyboardist Billy Preston climbed up to the roof of Apple Corps headquarters in London and played their last public performance. The last song they played was take three of Get Back. Paul McCartney made the breakup official on April 10, 1970. To find out what the breakup meant, I spoke with a student of rock and roll. Mike Barnett is an instructor, composer, and a working drummer. He teaches music in the rock era and intro to songwriting at CU Boulder. Mike, welcome to Brainwaves. Thank you. Do you remember the first time you became aware of the Beatles?
1: Yes, I was uh, was probably mid-70s, mid to later 70s. I was... Uh, still just a little kid, but it was hard not to, you know, some of my earliest memories are of music, and uh, and th- of those are uh, the Beatles. Paul McCartney was, you know, everywhere with wings during the 70s. John Lennon, you know, was kind of here and there. He took some time away. Um, but I remember, the thing I think I remember most distinctly, the earliest was uh, anytime there was a Beatle, anywhere on a TV interview or, you know, reading an interview uh, about them, they always were asked, you know, when are the Beatles getting back together? Or do you guys have anything planned? And that was always the question on everybody's, uh, at the top of everybody's list, it seemed. Help us understand how big the Beatles
0: were and what the breakup meant at the time.
1: I I think it was uh, uh, clearly the end of something important. And those types of things, I think, in the moment, uh, you don't have enough time to realize. Maybe I don't think people even realize the significance, the lasting significance that the Beatles would have and the lasting influence, you know, in 1970 or, or late 69. You know, that hadn't really been felt yet, I don't think, in the way that we know it now for sure. But I'm sure that, there, you know, it was devastating to Beatles fans, And uh, but there was so much Else happening too, you know, with Vietnam and 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 on the musical front, you know, all these American acts like, uh, you know, Hendrix and the Doors and Janis Joplin and the Grateful Dead and all these bands that were bursting out of San Francisco and Woodstock and, I mean, I think there were enough other things going on to nourish people's musical uh, selves.
0: One of the other elements that might have led to their breakup, they be, all began to pursue their own creative musical endeavors, particularly George Harrison's work with Indian musical themes. Did it just become too difficult, do you think, to reconcile these differing styles and interests in one band?
1: I suppose the pursuit of, of each of their own um, solo careers had, had a lot to do with uh, drawing their attentions elsewhere, for sure. But I think the Beatles had run its course in a lot of ways. I think if there hadn't been some of the uh, sort of vitriol between, particularly Paul McCartney and and uh, John Lennon, in the press, and uh, you know maybe they would have reconciled after after they had done their own thing for a little bit. I mean it's it happens, and then. You have uh, you have it going in, in every direction too. You can see other examples, like the Eagles or someone, you know, or um, they have these enormous successful solo careers, and then they come back together at some point. Um, if John Lennon hadn't been killed, I mean, who knows what would have happened in the '80s or beyond? They may have been doing reunion tours with the Eagles or with you know Fleetwood Mac or who knows who, you know, at that point.
0: Occasionally you run into someone who
1: says, Nah I don't like the Beatles. What would
0: you say to that person?
1: Uh, <laughs> um, people like what they like. But I would probably also say, well, have you really listened to the Beatles or do you really know what they were about? Uh, I think there's a difference between appreciating uh, something and actually liking it, you know, in certain cases. Uh, and, you know, with my, with my rock class, I get a a mixed bag of enthusiasm and mildly, you know, indifferent uh, approach to it. But I think by the end of the semester, uh, I think that those students who were unaware or didn't like the Beatles, at least appreciate them. And in some cases they have grown to like the Beatles and and other bands that they were just not, weren't on their radar. Um, So I, I mean, I have a different experience, but Just in general, I think that uh, everybody should at least understand the significance of the Beatles, you know, uh, whether they like their music or not.
0: Mike Barnett, thanks a lot for joining us today on Brainwaves.
1: Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Mike Barnett is an instructor, a composer, and a working drummer. He teaches at the School of Music at CU Boulder. Younger people might get the significance of the Beatles, but can they name the members of the Fab Four? We sent Cole Hemstreet onto the CU Boulder campus to ask Gen Z to name the Beatles. Don't let us down, kids.
2: John Lynn, Paul McCartney, Ringo Starr, and... Oh shoot, I always forget the last one. Yeah. Ringo's one.
0: Ringo, George, John, and Paul.
2: Paul's one.
0: Oh gosh, Uh, Paul. (laughs) Paul, George.
2: No.
3: George is one.
2: No, I can't. No, I can't. I can't. I love the Beatles, but no, I can't.
3: Uh, Fourth
0: one, I can't remember.
3: And if somebody
0: loved me like she does. That was Jess, Ian Chitwood, Jack Elliott, Charlotte Bunt, and Emma Green. And now we turn from the Beatles' breakup to a breakdown of music that's popular today. Brainwave's Cole Hemstreet spoke with Frank Furtado, founder of the music storytelling YouTube channel Middle 8. You can find a link in the description. They talked about the Beatles' influence, the changing music industry, and where music is headed today. We'll start with Furtado taking a deep dive into Seven Nation Army by The White Stripes. Seven Nation Army has one of the most
3: recognizable riffs of all time. Its melody has become a global sports anthem, and while it might sound like it's played on a bass guitar, that sound is created by Jack White's semi-acoustic guitar, brought down an octave by a guitar pedal. The band never used a bass guitar. My name is Frank Furtado,
2: and I started Middle 8 as just a platform for me to talk about the music that I already loved. So Beatlemania, it didn't come out of a vacuum. Can you summarize it, if you can, to those of us who may have not been around for it? I mean, I wasn't around for it either. but. I think it was just one of those times that music really started being
3: looked at as almost a commodity, I guess, at that point. You had this band, the Beatles, who are the greatest music players, at least when they first started. And then just the commercial success that they received from going from the UK to the US and then blowing up and becoming this sensation. But they they sort of pushed themselves to progress with every album. They, they could have easily just created singles for the rest of their career, but instead they decided to really push their sound and push what a rock band could do. And It went from people just casually listening to music, I think, towards people starting to buy records and starting to buy albums. And I think they really influenced a lot of other artists to push their own sound and, and become a, a better band.
2: So how do you think the idea of stardom has kind of evolved with uh, today's stars?
3: being an artist or getting your music out there is a lot easier than say, for example, it was back in the Beatles day. And a lot of that is owed to the internet. So somebody today could instantly, they have an idea. All you need is a computer with some music software or like beat production software. And you can kind of go from there. And I think that's one of the reasons why trap is really taken off right now. And I guess the rap genre in, in general is people can just make this in their bedroom and, and, you don't need four people in a band anymore. You don't need a drummer. You don't need a guitarist, a bassist, and a singer. Like You can kind of beat all of that with music editing software now. But yeah, I, I, don't, know. I don't think it's really changed much. If anything, there's just more avenues for them to talk about it or to, to show it off, I guess, because of social media and the internet. But I'm sure, I'm sure the Beatles are just as egotistical as, as Drake
2: probably is now. It's just we, we see it, or it's more in our face than it was back then so what other ways do you see the music industry changing Mm -hmm. streaming has definitely become i guess the go-to way of
3: consuming music if an artist isn't on a streaming platform it's it's almost more difficult for them to kind of get ahead and i don't see this model changing for a long time i think eventually one day if smaller artists don't start seeing returns on their music we could see like a protest towards streaming platforms in getting them to pay more for those smaller artists but i mean at the same time it's kind of like if they if they're not on there then nobody's listening to their music so it's going to be interesting going forward but i definitely think we've seen a lot of changes happen that at least the last 20 years and that kind of kicked off with napster and uh them making file sharing and listening to music much more readily available in terms of like physical releases, not many people are buying CDs as much anymore. So we've almost lost that physical touch with albums, even though we've seen a bit of a resurgence with vinyl records. But I definitely see streaming as like the the new form or the music industry in general. And we're also kind of moving away from the need for a label or the need for any backing to to distribute your music because of streaming. So if anything now, like the the new managers and PR companies and a is like the new label. You don't need a label at this point anymore to, to become big.
2: So that kind of leads into my next question, which is a lot of artists complain that it's very difficult to make money because of these mm-hmm. streaming platforms. Do you think there's a way for the music industry to be more profitable or how are these artists getting by? Is it through ads or how does that work exactly? And yeah, that's the thing is that like if you want
3: to make those big dollars I guess you kind of do have to be with a label or you do need a manager but if you're going to get into music I don't think that making should be your top priority like if you really an artist and you care about your music and like you kind of just want to get rich quick you'll kind of see that a lot of those artists come and go they get like their 15 minutes they
2: get Uh, a ton of money and then wasting it all then like a little pump type character
3: yeah yeah or even for example like Lil Nas X who knows how long he's gonna kind of carry on with the, the old town road thing like whether or not that's gonna pan out for
2: him to be a
3: bigger artist in the future but then you have somebody who for example like Tame Impala who the art form is more important than anything to him or at least it was in the beginning I don't know how it is now but I think Kind of building up that longevity of being an artist is how you make money in the long run.
2: Okay, so last question. How much more are artists relying on touring these days? I think it's just as consistent as it was even before. The, the thing is,
3: I think artists do make more from their touring than, say, for example, their album releases sometimes. The bigger artist you are, the bigger venue, then obviously you're making more from touring.
0: That was Frank Furtado of the YouTube channel Middle Eight. Thanks for joining us this week. I'm Paul Bake. If there's a topic you think we should cover, email us at brainwavescolorado.edu. At Cole Hemstreet and I produced today's episode. We'll see you next time on Brainwaves.